Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Open Doors podcast. As always, I am your host, Christopher Summers, uh, executive editor here at Open Doors USA. Joining me, as always, is Julia. Hey, Julia. Hi, Christopher. Good to be here today. Uh, And we are also joined by a special co-host this episode. Uh, Joining us is Robert Kenna, who is actually the U.S. Director for Field Communications here at Open Doors. Robert, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, so great to be here with you both, Christopher and Julia. Thanks for having me. Well, we wanted to have Robert here uh, specifically because we're going to be talking a lot about India. uh, And Robert's actually been able to travel there uh, a couple times over the last couple of years. And he recently spoke with an Open Doors partner there, which we will get to in a little bit. Uh, But first, to kick this episode off, we wanted to bring you some of the news stories and updates that our persecuted family is going through around the world. So uh, first, uh, Julia, what are you hearing and seeing uh, in the news about persecuted Christians? Yeah, so I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, Iran and what's happening there. Our field continues to share about arrests of Christians in Iran. And when Christians are arrested um, in Iran, most are um, arrested for leading or or being part of a house church. And recently I wrote about what seems to have been a coordinated operation of arrests in three cities over three days. At least 12 Christians were arrested and dozens more had their phones confiscated and were told they would be summoned for questioning. So, so Christopher, imagine if you and a group of friends were gathered in your home for a Bible study and eight FBI agents came to your door, raided your home, blindfolded, and handcuffed you. And you and some of your friends were even beaten. That's what happened to one of these groups of Christians um, recently. Well, Julia, how does, in this kind of case in Iran, how does the government know about the Christian groups if they're being kind of secretive? Yeah, so in this specific instance, the operation involved an informant in the group who had earned the trust of these believers. And Really, this is the kind of deception that our brothers and sisters in places like Iran just continually face. So I just wanted to make that um, aware so that everyone could definitely pray with our family in Iran. They just face so much risk to follow Jesus today. And I'm sure there's probably pressure on some of those believers to actually become informants, too, if they get caught. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Well, that's I think that's one of the um, one of the specific uh, motivations. Julie, it's really interesting. This week, I didn't know that you were going to talk about Iran, but I got to meet with an Iranian house church leader this week who is kind of like uh, out of the country on a break, but heading back as well, too. And it was fascinating to hear her story of like, just like you mentioned, she was often feeling like she's being followed and they all have to be very careful about who they let into the group to make sure they don't let in some kind of spies that would turn them back in as well, too. And so she's been through many, many challenges and her family has as well, too. But she still had this great joy and passion to get back to her church group in Iran and to keep, continue to worship and continue to do what she's doing. And it, ironically, too, like the uh, Open Doors is being able to help her and her family as well, too, with training, with um, just discipline as well, too. That's meant so much to her, she was saying, and helped her know that she's not alone. So really encouraging to see, again, like still what God is doing through the underground church there as well with all of the, the persecution they're facing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And and again, we just remember just um, the risk that um, that they take to follow Jesus because of of their love and and devotion for him and what they what he how he's worked in their lives in ways that we don't even know. 
I also feel like that would add a really difficult wrinkle if you kind of have to be suspicious of people that mm-hmm. come in. Because mm-hmm. I think the nat- natural Christian impulse is that if someone expresses interest in the gospel or Jesus, you want to tell those people about about it. So it'd be really hard to always have that nagging feeling in the back of your head that maybe someone is just interested in asking you those questions because they want to turn you in. Definitely. And then to even just the idea of vetting people before you even, you know, allowed them into your group that we don't really think about that here. Yeah. I was going to say, I can't imagine for someone who was a, someone who leaves the, the their faith, leaves Islam and becomes a Christian, how hard that would be for people to trust them to yeah, find that yeah, community. Sure. Definitely. Definitely. Right. Because it, it could turn out to be like this situation that could be informants. One of the other pieces of news that's come in from our field this week uh, was uh, within the last few weeks, uh, there was a pretty brutal attack in northern Cameroon from Boko Haram. And if you've followed news in West Africa, you've certainly heard the name Boko Haram. They're responsible for so many atrocities, particularly in Nigeria. But they also operate in Niger and Chad and Cameroon and some of the other countries around uh, the Lake Chad area. And uh, in this most recent attack, uh, it just came out uh, from our field that uh, it's believed that their primary target was actually a Christian center. Uh, so some, um, numbered among some of the uh, dead are Christians. And I mean, it's, it's another heartbreaking instance of Boko Haram's continued reign of terror in that region, in particular in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic when people are at home you'd expect maybe that persecution would go down in some of these places. But in this instance, it's just more proof that uh, groups like Boko Haram aren't interested in uh, letting a quarantine interfere with their plans to try to stamp out Christians in these regions. So I guess if you would, you know, if you're listening at home and if, if you think about it, just remember to pray for uh, Christians in Northern Cameroon and Nigeria and for that whole area as they, live in constant fear of groups like Boko Haram who could attack and kill at any moment. Right. And in this specific instance, Christopher, the one that you're talking about, about Cameroon, um, it was a suicide bomber. Actually, um, we've been told that it was a young girl. And that's another thing that, you know, that's a whole other dynamic that they kidnap um, children and often um, attach explosives to them. It's, it's very heinous. It's, a, it's very evil. Yeah, so that's, you know, that's a heavy thing I think that's been on my mind over the last couple of weeks. So, yeah, if you're if you're at home, just uh, say a quick prayer for your brothers and sisters in West Africa. Yes, definitely. Brian, is there anything that's been going on uh, over the last few weeks that's caught your attention? I know we've been doing a lot with COVID-19, so I wonder if you have any updates on that. Yeah, definitely. So we have been expanding our COVID-19 relief efforts to go through sub-Saharan Africa. So really focused on Nigeria, Mali, Cameroon, um, even Uganda as well too. And just got a report even that we just helped 151 families who are desperate in need for food relief in uh, Uganda, who were believers who came out of the Muslim background and needed help from someone. So it's been really exciting to see some of the impact of that as well too. But it's definitely still a critical time um, for COVID relief. Um, the crisis has really impacted believers in a number of areas, especially believers who come or like around that poverty line. It's just heaped on extra struggles and challenges. And, and in some of these cases, the relief is, is really, it's life-saving. Yeah. And I know last episode we heard uh, from some of our Open Doors partners in Bangladesh and Southeast Asia. And obviously this uh, this episode, we're looking more at India. 
how has COVID-19 impacted both Christians in India as well as the work that Open Doors does through partners in India? Yeah, India is still on lockdown. It's been extended. So it's it's definitely a critical time for the country. Many persecuted believers, they've lost their jobs, sources of income, especially day laborers, and even rural pastors in villages just have had a really tough go because their congregation isn't there, their community isn't there to give, and also they don't have the resources to help their own families, let alone help those that they typically help in need. And there's no, for many of these people, there's just no extra outlet. There's no safety net. There's no aid organization organization that's will, you know waiting to help them. Um, and it, we've even gotten some reports that Christians are being denied relief from the government as it's being distributed um, for their beliefs as well, too. So it's a really, really difficult situation. And it kind of continues to go on, as we all know, like the lockdown, as it continues, it just makes, um, there's a lot of additional struggles that come out of that, too. And now I, I know you had the opportunity to interview uh, one of Open Door's partners in India. Uh, her name is Hina, and we'll we'll get to that interview in just a second. Uh, I guess I just wanted to ask before we get there is just what what's one thing that jumped out to you as you spoke to Hina? It was a great conversation. I'm really excited that we're able to share it. And I think one of the things that really stuck out to me is Hina sharing about the discrimination and the relief distribution that does happen and just kind of giving a little bit more detail about how that functions. And basically what happens is, you know, the government will release this aid to village leaders and village elders. They're often called the Pontiat and they're given this aid and they distribute it. And so if there's a Christian family or community of Christians in their village, they can easily bypass them. And, and oftentimes they're told, and, and you know, we'll share a story of a, a larger family of like 15 who lived in part of this village. And they're basically told, hey, you're Christians. Let other Christians help you. Let other Christian organizations help you. Um, we're going to bypass you with this relief and aid. And so it's a desperate situation like that. And, and it's really difficult. So it also points to the fact of the need that's so critical this time to support our, support our family um, in Christ as well. Robert, I was curious. I know that in Bangladesh that um, our partners are saying that there is a real move almost among Muslims that when um, the Christians ask for help, they say, then we want you to come back to, to Islam. We will help you if, if you come back to Islam. Are you and um, Hina, did you, are you hearing um, that same thing um, that's happening in India as well? Yeah, no, it's really tough. We do hear lots of stories of Christians who are, they call it social boycotting, where they basically, the village elders will say, hey, if you're a Christian, you're no longer part of us, and ask the whole village to shun them, and sometimes even cut them off from water sources. And sometimes things escalate to attacks, expulsion from the community, and even at times, um, even killing, which is really difficult. But I do think there's a sense of like when those believers returned to, to the Hindu faith, they are welcomed back into the villages often. And so that's kind of the, the, the question to them that's posed is, will you leave Christ and return to, to the Hindu faith, return to us basically, and get your standing back in the community? So many Christians do know that if they turn back, they could start receiving the aid. They could have a much easier time in their villages and their communities, be accepted back. Um, but the, the Christians that we talk to are so strong in their faith. They don't want to return. Jesus has meant that much to them that they they are willing to take the suffering that comes along to it, the boycotting, the uh, discrimination as well. And with that, uh, we will turn it over to Robert's conversation with Hina. Hello, this is Robert from Open Doors. I am here joined by Hina, 
one of our Open Doors partners in India. And it's such a pleasure to have you with us, Hina. Would you just take a moment and introduce yourself and uh, share a little bit about what you do? Yes. Um, hello, my name is Hina and I work as an OD partner in India. And it's my uh, great privilege to be a part of this work. And uh, we work basically for persecuted Christians uh, throughout the region in uh, various areas of uh, India. And we work through a network of partners and local Christians who connect us to all the needy people. And we try to go there and connect directly uh, with the needy people and provide them all the help they need. That's awesome. You know, your work um, and the work that your team does is so critical for the global church, especially for persecuted Christians right now during this global crisis. And uh, I wanted just maybe to take a minute and see if you could give us kind of a high-level overview of what's happening in India today. Yes, uh, India is really uh, having a hard time coping with the pandemic situation. Uh, the COVID cases are rising uh, day by day. And last week, we have had over 40,000 cases every day almost, like for about two or three days. And recently, we have had about 45,000 uh, cases in a single day. And uh, it's really been a difficult time, especially uh, since India has a big proportion of people who is under the poverty line and big proportion of people who are having minimal wages jobs and jobs which are dependent upon uh, small businesses and small business sectors. So rest of the people, which is a major chunk of the population, is uh, either struggling with very minimal wages or they absolutely have no wages at all. So a lot of the population is dependent upon what the government is providing for food or any other relief agencies providing. So it's like a really chaotic time for India. A maximum young uh, people are struggling with the jobs right now. Thanks for sharing that, Hina. I know it's devastating to think about the suffering um, of people in India today, especially many who are under the poverty line, who've lost their jobs and who are struggling to just to survive. Um, and specifically, as we talk about Christians who have experienced persecution, we know during this pandemic that, that persecution has not stopped. Um, I wonder if you could give us a little insight or maybe even a couple of stories or examples of how you're seeing Christian persecution uniquely happen during this pandemic. Uh, could you share that with us, Hina? Yeah, I would like to uh, tell you a little bit more about uh, the Christians uh, who are the category of Christians that we have mostly in India. I would say there there is a huge number of people who are coming to Christian faith, either because uh, there are so many evangelistic um, churches which are working. And because of that, yes, there is a revival in India. And that has invited a lot of open persecution and hatred against Christians because people think that these people get money from abroad and become Christians. So this is the misconception which is widely propagated and everybody in India seems to think uh, Christians from that perspective. So uh, the, the major chunk of Christians are the people who are from uh, like lower middle class or maybe very poor backgrounds who have suffered something and they've got healing or they've experienced uh, they've needed something and when coming to Christianity they've uh, you know uh, realized those miracles and relief uh, from God and then they have uh, you know come to Christian faith so most of the uh, Christians comprise of those people 
who are uh, from uh, low economic background. So they are already su suffering. And after uh, the first thing is they are already from low economic background. Second thing is after they become Christians, most of them they suffer social boycott. Social boycott is not just mental harassment. Social boycott uh, means a lot more than that. It means that person is not given job. So already th these things are there. And now most of the Christians are those who have migrated. And most of the Christians are those who are from the lower, low, lower income uh, 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 category. So all of them are already suffering. And um, because of Christianity, they, they are even more because they suffer. They don't get employment. They suffer discrimination. So all of these things are there because of Christianity. Now, after this, and most of them are socially, they are expelled also, and they would come and migrate in small towns, get a small uh, job and work there. Now, because of this pandemic, uh, the thing is that so many such people are affected because they are either migrated people or they either had very low income jobs, which is now they have no savings at all. And now they are completely affected. So uh, their business is closed. So most of them, most of the Christians would, I would say, are uh, do not have employment because obviously they would not be favored in government jobs. Also, it's very difficult for a Christian to get a government job or government uh, provided job opportunities in rural, mostly in rural areas, unless one is really highly educated and maybe lives in a city where nobody knows him. So those problems are there and um, apart from all of these things uh, that is there like my uh, apart from they already being poor and suffering because of the pandemic now government if a government comes to distribute the food resources what happens is that um, it now depends upon the person who is distributing the food the authorities who are involved and the people who are there to uh, either you know allow the food to reach that person. So if that person is known to be a Christian and if he's already socially boycotted, he'll always suffer discrimination. And apart from this uh, discrimination, there is also another thing that is developing that more and more uh, persecution incidents are happening. And um, we came across recently uh, come across one after the other killings of people. And uh, recently uh, I got to know of a lady was killed uh, because of her faith and uh, there were so many things she had been uh, you know warned before several times and before that we heard of a person being killed you know he had been uh, warned a couple of times we were in touch with that pastor uh, and he had been warned by the villagers several times that uh, we will kill you if you don't leave your faith but he pursued on we contact he told us about those warnings and we had told him that uh, we will uh, create a safe place for you get out of that village but he told us that this is my vision that i stay in this village and uh, i stay here and serve the lord but recently that uh, pastor was killed so you know now this is the time in the lockdown phase uh, where people are easily isolated it's difficult for people to run away so a series of uh, several killings, like two, three killings have happened. And in one case, a person was beaten so brutally that uh, he was almost strangled to death. His neck, uh, we, we were able to contact that family. They were uh, almost killed and uh, they were able to run away, run away from the village. 
uh, he had three children and his wife and we were able to provide them shelter and uh, you know his neck was swollen because they tried to strangle him so more and more violent incident and recently uh, we also met uh, with a girl uh, who was also almost strangled in her neck her neck was also swollen and she was also raped and the killer tried to um, you know uh, smash her but by god's grace he only smashed her leg so she was like um, not able she took time to recover her leg was recovering but um, she didn't deny jesus like uh, she had received, she had been already expelled by the family but after that this incident happened because people really hated her for being a christian see she found shelter somewhere else but then she was raped and um, almost killed so all of these violent incidents are happening one by one and you know in the past few months there have been several church attacks also it's so so difficult to uh, to hear some of those stories and uh it's interesting because we know that during this pandemic we might expect for persecution to be slowed down but in fact it's made christians a bigger target is what you're saying and it's it's very difficult but also an important call to us to pray and to stand with our brothers and sisters um, who are experiencing extreme persecution, um, poverty, discrimination in India today. And as I think about this, I would just like to ask you to share if your team, if Open Doors wasn't there doing the work that we're doing through our partners, where would these Christians go to get help? How would they find help? What would they do? It is, of course, very difficult to imagine. The, this is often a question which, you know, I would ask myself if, suppose we were not there, uh, what would have happened? But uh, we depend on the Lord. They are obviously, it's because of their faith that they are getting this help. And we are just a channel. And um, we feel this help is very crucial, of course. And uh, when we ask them, um, you know, instead of me thinking what it would be, I would rather ask them. So the, often the feedback I get is, uh, you really an answer to our prayers. And we'd really pray, we had really been praying for this support. So this is what the victims would come back to us. They would be crying most of the times and they would be thinking that our God is faithful and your presence has made uh, this evident to us or your presence with us has strengthened our faith. And so many times people share with us that they are almost at the verge of uh, giving up their faith, but uh, the support in time has strengthened them and brought them uh, into a new uh, strengthened relationship again with God. So our help through God and through all the supporters is something which is really strengthening them and uh, is proving crucial. Yeah, God is use, really using uh, this work uh, of the team in India. Wow. Yeah, we have so much to learn from our Christian brothers and sisters in India who are experiencing extreme persecution like this, and yet still steadfast in their faith, still pursuing Christ, still seeking Him and not denying Jesus, but um, embracing their suffering in a way and still finding hope. Uh, you know, I'd like to to shift gears a little bit and, uh, and maybe ask you a little bit more about our relief efforts. And if you could, could you just take a moment and unpack what is inside a food relief kit um, that we distribute throughout India today. Um, give us the details of what's in those those packages and how important they really are. Uh, yes, uh, in India, generally uh, we have food grains, 
which is an essential part of the diet. So the grocery pack would contain a good amount of food grains that would be consumed um, like two times, three times a day. So that could uh, be uh, some amount of rice, some amount of wheat, some amount of different other food grains. So it depends upon the region where what is consumed. So we choose, uh, we ask them what they would like. So it's something like if, if they only have rice, we provide a, a big bag of rice. Hina, could you give us a little uh, bit of an idea of, of how far reaching the impact is, maybe some numbers and uh, how many we've we've seen the food packets go to so far? Yes, uh, by God's grace, uh, we've been able to reach out to about 10,800 families. And uh, that accounts for nearly 60,000 people. And um, it's like the need is growing. We know that whom we have uh, provided relief are going to need food again because obviously it gets exhausted in one month's time. So we are praying for God's provision and also for God's work in their lives that they are able to have a better livelihood. That is awesome. That is so encouraging, Hina, to hear those numbers. Hey, could you also give us an understanding? I know it's very difficult to get around the country right now. So how are we getting that relief into the hands of those people who need it the most? Yeah, actually, um, it depends upon how the situation is. Nowadays, a uh, very important, you know, the biggest problem right now is uh, the lockdown and the commutation not being available. So we are in touch with local Christians and, uh, you know, whoever is very close to the victim. And uh, we try to uh, make it work through our network of partners uh, who help us deliver. Sometimes if uh, I would be in touch with people, I would provide them. But then if not, I will um, connect to any other reliable partner, uh, OD partner I know throughout the country. Whoever is close to the victim shall provide, uh, shall purchase and uh, provide it to the victim. So this is how we do it. The, uh, the OD partner who is, uh, you know, contacted is um, in touch directly with the victim and tries to understand the need and hence purchase the items as per the need of the victim. It's amazing to see how God makes a way through all those challenges to still answer the prayers of, of Christians in, in desperate need as well. So as, as I shift next, could you maybe give us a little bit of an overview, Hina, of where you see God working? Where do you see hope emerging within this global crisis in India today? It's amazing to learn that people are ready to cling on to the faith even in such difficult times. And uh, in such difficult times, the faith are even more vibrant. So when you go to meet a persecuted person and uh, you provide them these things, they tell you more about how God has been real in their lives. So their testimonies are something which would be reviving our testimonies and how God led them. Though they suffered, it would be, you know, it, their stories would be like they suffered this much, but yet they had that incredible strength to go through it. And yet now they have developed incredible faith to cling, cling on to Jesus. So what made them cling on to Jesus is what is supernatural and what is really uh, beyond comprehension. That is such a beautiful thing to see. And uh, I'm sure story after story of inspiration and answered prayer, just uh, incredibly inspiring. I think it's a beautiful thing, again, for us to think through the fact that we are one church and one family, 
and the fact that people who are giving and praying right now to open doors to provide for people in desperate need in India, um, we're all a part of that same funnel of of giving and strength um, together. And, and, and we're being inspired by their witness, and we're hopefully supporting and strengthening them through our support and prayer, and it, and it goes around and around. It's just a beautiful thing. Hina, I would like to also switch and just ask you, what personally motivates you to serve the persecuted church? Where do you get your, your motivation from? I must say, uh, from when I started uh, working as a partner over here, my faith has grown because I see uh, what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. What are the prices you pay and what you get in return? So what you get in return is not visible. The prices you pay are more visible. So what I learned from these people is that they are aspiring for the invisible things. And uh, the more they aspire, the more they stand up to uh, this aspiration, the more they are strengthened. And the less they are you know, uh, concerned about the visible things of the earth. So less they are concerned about the visible persecution. So they are aspiring more for the invisible gifts and invisible uh, crown uh, that is going to be visible in the days to come. So that has always inspired me uh, to look towards the heavenly things and, uh, you know, to to be less uh, concerned about how the earthly things are always mattering. So obviously we are providing help to them and this is much needed and this is inspired by God and the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, uh, when you are in touch with them, you see that they are the ones who have left everything for Jesus. And they are the ones who are who are not uh, doing this because they will get help. Obviously, they are just praying to God for help. But even if they don't receive it, they are always strong in the faith. But they are aspiring for that crown. And um, the more I come in contact with them, the more I... Uh, read their stories, the more I understand how important it is uh, to look towards that goal. And, um, you know, the rest of the things in the world really uh, counts to nothing when we look towards Jesus. That is beautiful. It's such a powerful reminder to to pursue the things of heaven and to know that this world is not our home. I mean, we're called to obey God and to live out his kingdom here, but our ultimate goal is to to be with the Lord and to chase after things that the world doesn't see. Incredibly powerful. And that was Robert's conversation with Hina, an Open Doors partner on the ground in India. Robert, thanks so much for sharing that with us. Yeah, thanks so much for listening. Really excited um, that we're working with people like Hina who are so passionate about serving the persecuted church. I also know that you've been able to travel to India uh, with an Open Doors team in the last couple of years. I was just wondering in, you know, Based on your experiences and the time you've spent with believers there, what's what's one thing that's really stood out to you uh, meeting with Indian believers who suffered in some of these really profound ways? Yeah, that's a great question, Christopher. I think the fascinating thing that definitely sticks out to me is their joy. There's a sense of the fact that they've gone through so much. I've met with persecuted believers who've been attacked, kicked out of their villages, pastors who've had their churches burned down by Hindu extremists farmers who's, who've had their land stolen, widows whose husbands were killed for their faith and they refu- because they refused to reject Jesus. And then when you sit down to talk to them, there's obviously struggles and tears. Um, there's so much trauma in their stories. 
but the joy when they start talking about their faith, it comes out just shining and bright. And it's hard not to sit with someone like that who radiates the love of Jesus, forgiving their attackers, forgiving those in their village. And many times they often even say, hey, I want to get back to my village because I need to reach them for Christ. It's so fascinating because they're people just like you and I are. They're, they're not superheroes. They're, not, they've just, they're people who love Jesus. They've gone through a traumatic event and they're still, their faith is, has been refined. And it's, and it's a beautiful yet really tough thing to see. But again, like it leaves you inspired um, with what it really means to follow Jesus um, through it all in this life. Well, I can see that because I left the interview with Hina inspired. Just what she was saying about our brothers and sisters are aspiring for the invisible things, um, hope unseen. And the more they inspire, the more they stand up to this aspiration and are strengthened. And um, and the less that they're concerned about the visible things of the earth, that that is so powerful. And I will I will be thinking about that for the next week to to two weeks um, and just processing what that looks like in my own life. Yeah, Julie, it is just amazing to think through the scope of that, like people who are at the end where they've given up everything, given up their homes, they're living sometimes in just makeshift safe houses, and they could come back to the Hindu faith, they could reject Jesus and have a part, a portion of that back, and yet they still are resolute to say they don't know where their food might come from the next day, they don't know where their provisions might come from the next week, they don't know how they'll support their families, but they're trusting God that he will take care of them because they're not going to leave their faith, which is, again, it's just, uh, it's inspiring. Definitely. Just the idea of that invisible crown that's going to be visible in the days to come, what Hina was saying. I just um, thank you so much um, for that interview, Robert. Robert, I know too, uh, uh, India is, is as a recording almost to 2.5 million cases or confirmed cases of COVID-19. Uh, is Open Doors able to do a lot there uh, during COVID-19 through partners like Hina? Yeah, that's a great question too. I think it is definitely really important to know that we're still currently delivering emergency aid and relief and it's really important. So I think many of the families that we've helped, we've helped, as Hina mentioned, you mean 10,000 families in India, but those families as the lockdown continues, will need additional help. And there's more beyond that as well too. Some of our other work though, like the scope of our work in India covering distributing Bibles through partners and Christian books and persecution preparedness training, supporting believers in small businesses and, and legal help, and even discipleship as well too. Like all of those things we're still pushing forward, but many of them might look different um, because of, of the COVID lockdown. So we're pushing through, it's, it's forcing us to in, innovate, but still very uh, involved in serving and strengthening the church in India today. Good. Well, how can people at home, if they're listening and wonder what they can do to help Christians in India uh, who suffer daily persecution and now kind of suffer doubly because of COVID-19 and quarantine, how can people at home help their Indian sisters and brothers? I'll kind of give a couple of requests that I think are really important. But the first one is just to pray that the relief is able to reach the most vulnerable. We've heard story after story of, of people who are desperate don't know if they're going to survive because they don't have food. They don't have the means to purchase food. So I would say through whatever means possible that God would help deliver that relief, whether it comes from, you know, I mean, our partners in the field or whether it comes from the government or another, you know, I mean, well-meaning person who has the means to provide that, 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 that relief reaches the most vulnerable Christians there today. The next thing I would pray for is really just asking that you would, uh, that God would strengthen the faith of persecuted believers during this time, which is 
of valley, you mean of sorts for sure. And there's daily struggles and there's also daily temptations. Like, again, like just like any of us, we would struggle with what is God trying to teach me? What, when will God kind of answer my prayers? What will happen? And so I think it's so critical to pray that, that during these struggles that we pray for strength in their faith. Um, and then really the last one I would say is just praying for wisdom for the pastors who desperately want to serve their people, but are unable to meet their own needs right now. And so giving them spiritual wisdom to lead and direct their people during this lockdown, during this global crisis, so that the church, again, can be strengthened and, and led in the right way. I think I just my heart goes out to the pastors and church leaders out there, so many of them who just need to know what that next step will be to take as well, too. Robert, how can we pray for our partners like Hina who are on the front lines? Yeah, I would really encourage you to, to just pray that they they don't grow weary. The work is constantly coming in. They're getting calls um, consistently. And some of those calls are really tough, as we've talked about today. They come from really um, difficult circumstances of and difficult situations of loss and extreme suffering sometimes that I think you know, many of our field team members, they have children of their own and they have um, daughters and wives and, they, and the stories they hear are really tough you know, to go through. So I think the most important thing is that they have the strength as well. They don't grow weary and that they're able to, to, to stay focused on the peace of Christ, but also have an extra kind of reserve of energy to keep delivering and distributing these food packages in the presence ministry that we have on the ground um, as, we, as we move forward. Great. Thank you. And I do want to uh, end and close this episode with some prayer for our brothers and sisters in India. But uh, before we do, I was also wondering, Julie, if, if there were any other pressing prayer requests that you've heard that we can lift up in prayer before we end this episode. One of the things that we're seeing um, coming through from our Africa team are just some really heart-wrenching stories uh, from Christian widows um, who lost their husbands in uh, extremist attacks that were attacked for their faith and were killed for their faith. And um, they are now in the situation of trying to care for their children during COVID-19. And we hear from these women that they go to bed at night wondering how they're going to feed their children. And as a mom, I, I've been uh, touched by their stories. And I would definitely like for us to hold up the widows and children um, in Nigeria and along its borders uh, who are suffering right now. And, and also to just um, remember to, uh, to pray for their strength and just fortitude as they walk each day. Each day is, is difficult. So. Well, with that, Robert, would you mind closing us in prayer and lifting up the widows in particular in sub-Saharan Africa, as well as our partners in India? Sure. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to connect to our persecuted family all over the world, um, to be inspired, to encourage each other, but also to be able to step into this story, um, to give them strength when they need it the most um, through practical resources and training and food relief, dear God. And uh, I just pray right now for, as as uh, Julia mentioned, the widows in sub-Saharan Africa that just have such great needs. Lord, I pray that you would provide for them um, through any means possible. Pray that you would lift them up and quicken their spirits even right now. Lord, that you would give them the courage they need to move forward, uh, many of them with their children, uh, without their husbands present. And uh, I just pray that you would uniquely strengthen them um, and even the next generation of the church in in Africa as well too. And 
also, dear God, for our work in India, uh, through our partners, I pray that you would just give them courage and boldness, give them discernment even on how to distribute the aid um, during this lockdown, give them a passageway and, and work ahead of them in the, the work that they're doing and pave the way um, for the relief as well. And Lord, I just pray that you would uniquely strengthen the church in India. We know that it's been growing and that's actually made the church a bigger target. I would just pray for continued protection continued growth, continued courage to God so that your church would stand strong as a light in, uh, in India today. And we commit all of this to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much. And if if you'd like to get more up-to-date requests from persecuted Christians in India or Sub-Saharan Africa around the world, you can actually download the Open Doors Prayer app. All you have to do to do that is text PRAYER, so P-R-A-Y-E-R, to the number 32500, and you'll get a link to download the app. It's a great way to keep up to date with these regular prayer requests and join us in prayer. With that, we come to the end of this episode. Uh, Julia, thanks as always for being here and for hosting. It's great to have been with you guys today. Thanks so much. And Robert, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate hearing your heart uh, knowledge and for sharing your knowledge about India. Yeah, thanks so much. It was a privilege to be with both of you, Christopher and Julia, and uh, love the work you're doing. Remember, if you are interested in supporting Open Doors ministry throughout the world, through our partners on the ground in India or in places in sub-Saharan Africa or the Middle East, you can always visit opendoorsusa.org and make a gift or become a monthly frontline partner to support the persecuted church. As always, uh, I am Christopher Summers. And I'm Julia Warren. Thanks so much for joining us for more stories from the persecuted church because we are all one church and one family. Mm -hmm.